0: Welcome back, we are continuing our leadership challenge that we began earlier in the week. How many of you got a hold of one of our little uh, stress cubes from Wednesday? All right. How many did not get one? Sorry about that, I apologize. We had we had 500 of those made up and they were gone before I got back to the table. So uh, you'll see them sitting around, make use of them, they have information, same information we have going up on the screen right now. Reminding us of the leadership challenge. What's the challenge? Every student gets leadership training and development and leadership experience during your college experience. The four squares offer you four different opportunities, like four doorways into opportunities to get that leadership training with leadership courses and leadership experience through student leadership, project leadership out in the community, and of course the mentoring program. So we wanna reinforce that, but we're gonna shift gears here this morning. We have the opportunity to look at one of the biggest challenges of leadership is taking it to some place that seems well beyond our ability to impact the problem. Sometimes the problems are so big, they're so massive, or they're so distant that we think it has nothing to do with us making leadership choices. That's why we're here this morning. We're gonna talk about some real challenges out in a country called Kosovo that's been in the news quite heavily the last two or three years, not as much in the last year. But we're gonna tell you about some of the things that have been happening kind of underneath the news, underneath the radar of the the media. And it's coming because of leadership, it's becoming because people are choosing to act and to make a difference. We have a special guest coming today from Minneapolis, St. Paul area. He's with World Servants an organization that I spent 12 years with, working with, in leadership development and also short-term missions many, many places of the world. Chris, before he was in Minneapolis-St. Paul, was in Port Townsend, an island off the coast there, Seattle, the northwest, built a home there, and then came to the main office of World Servants, where he directs the marketing effort for that ministry, and also serves in a number of different places of the world running short-term mission programs back about four years ago, three to four years ago, took on the challenge of one of the most challenging places in the world at that time and since of Kosovo. Chris Klum's a good friend. We've worked together for a number of years. We've been to a number of different places in the world, from the Netherlands to uh, Dominican Republic, uh, to Mexico, different parts of Mexico. And uh, he's a man that follows his passion for God, his love for God and he's followed it to a particular place that has some key lessons for us on leadership. Please welcome with me to this stage of this chapel here today, Chris Klum. Come on, Chris.
1: Thanks, good. Well, I'd, I'd like to uh, thank IW for giving me the opportunity to stand up and share with you, and I know some of you are probably rolling your eyes, thinking that's, like the appropriate thing to say here at the start. But I really, I really honestly mean it. Because when I look out into the crowd and I see your faces, I see opportunity, I see passion and I see energy. I see people that are getting ready or in the process of making choices for what you're gonna do with your future. And uh, a few days ago, I turned 40. It's kind of like the, yeah, don't, uh, that's horrible, man. It's like the black birthday, you know? I hit the crest and I'm heading down, you know? <laughs> so I don't, I don't feel 40. Don't anybody say you look 40 or more. But, but I remember back when I was 20, and I remember the energy I felt I remember this perspective of my world, it's all out there, you know? I'm just starting this thing. What am I gonna do with my life, you know? And I know there's some of you guys that are still trying to figure that out. You get to be juniors and you gotta know what you're gonna do with the rest of your life, <laughs> you know? But your whole life is in front of you. And this morning, I hope my challenge to you helps you focus where you'll spend your energy and passion. Where are you gonna invest your life? I want to encourage you to have the courage to take on leadership. I think there's a lot of people who don't figure this thing out until they're like my age, 20 years into it, you know? They don't figure this whole game of life, what it's all about. But you and I, we live in a very self-absorbing culture, culture that tempts us all the time to build our life and think about us, Me, 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 me. My career, my future, my stability. What am I going to do with my free time? What do I want to do with um, the money I get? I mean, it's it's just so self-focused. Me, 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 me. I mean, it's the world and the culture we live in. And and I believe, as I think we all intellectually believe. But there's a scripture you probably know, and so we kind of got this figured out in our head, but I don't know that it plays out in our attitudes and our actions and our motives. If we try to save our life, we'll lose it. But if we lose our life for Christ, the Bible says we'll find it. And I want to challenge you with that scripture and with the power and the truth of that scripture this morning. And I want to also focus on a, a scripture that you all know. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You guys know what that is. It's the chapter that describes what love is. And verse 13 of chapter 13 says, there are three things that will remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And I really believe love is way more than a concept and a feeling. Love comes alive in action. It's pretty powerful. And this morning I want to focus on that. When we live our life out loud to love others, it changes us and it changes those around us. It's the most powerful part of our faith, and it's the simplest to understand. It's not too hard. Giving our life away, loving, caring for people. Anybody can do it, okay? Anybody can do it. That's so refreshing to me, because I'm, I'm just a normal kind of, uh, you know, just a normal guy that, I don't know, I got, I got a few things going for me, but I'm, you know, I'm not like Mr. Gifted Guy, but I can give my life, and I can do it for, for Christ. In June of 1999, March is when NATO intervened to help try to rescue and stop the Serbian forces for the ethnic cleansing that they were doing. And the video touches on that. The day after NATO started bombing, the Serbian troops stormed through Kosovo and did unbelievable things. And that summer, World Service got a call and asked if we would be willing to, to come. And to help these Albanians now that NATO secured the country and all the Albanian refugees that were driven out of Kosovo are returning to their burned-down homes, in many cases returning to try to find family members. The, the men and the boys had to flee because if they were caught in the convoys or they were caught by the Serbian troops, they'd be killed. Imagine being a, a dad and having to kiss your wife and take your teenage boys and leave your, your wife and your daughters wondering what was gonna happen to them and go hide in the hills, wondering if you'll ever see them again. So they're coming back to their burned-down villages, trying to unite with family. And we get on a plane to go over there to see if we can help. My life was real busy at that point. I'm trying to paint a picture of what was going on in my world when this happened. Uh, I have three kids, my oldest is 16, about ready to turn 17, and so, that back then it was that was a few years ago she's 16 right now but I have three kids and I have a life pretty busy and we went over there and I was not looking forward to hopping on the plane and getting in one of those little tiny chair planes and flying over cuz I'm kind of big and and to be real honest it it was it was work for me I'd done a little study about Kosovo But I hopped on that plane, we flew into Macedonia, which is south of Kosovo, and drove up to a taxi. We were going to meet someone at the border, and there's tanks and NATO troops, and just the border was just packed with security and, you know, everything. So we couldn't get to the border, so we had to jump out of the car, and we had to hike about a mile and a half, and I wish someone would have told me this. (laughs) I would have brought a backpack. I had one of those nice little, cute little sporty uh, travel bags you got going with the wheels on the end, and you pull the... the pop comes up, and you're... So I'm going through. There's all these army guys and tanks, and I'm carrying my little thing. Hi, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I'm cool, you know. I felt like an absolute idiot, and I probably looked like an idiot. So I got my little bag, about a, you know my little travel bag, about a, a mile and a half. We get across the border, got our passport stamped. When I walked across the border, I'll never forget the impact, first thing that impacted me. It was what I smelled. And it was... This smell of of burned down buildings, smoke. The whole country's been burned down. And it just I mean, I can it brings up all these visual pictures when I think about it. I smelled smoke. The whole time I was there, this smell of smoke grabbed a hold of me. And we spent two weeks traveling around to families all around Kosovo and sitting down in front of in many cases in front of their burned out homes on their front grass and they give us these little tiny Jet things of coffee Little tiny And it's like Wow that's pretty strong stuff And we sit in front of their, their homes Burned down homes And hear their stories And I had one Muslim girl About 20 years old Come up to me Once they found out That we were part of an organization Coming to help We were just swamped with people Begging us to come and hear their story And help them This 20 year old Muslim girl Comes up to me And grabs a hold of my my shirt And says please Please would you come and can I tell you what happened? Can I show you my house? Will you help us? And so she grabbed my hand and she went through some alleys and we walked in the back, came to the front of her house and it's literally just, it's rubble. And she starts, we, she wants to take me in the backyard so we have to cr- climb over all this rubble. And as we're climbing over, she's holding my hand, we're climbing over the rubble, she's telling me the story. She introduced me to her mother and to her grandmother, to her two sisters and her eight year old brother as we're walking over the rubble, she's telling me the story of what happened to her grandfather and father. And she says they, the, the Serb troops came when they burned down Sreka. She said they came and knocked on our door, pounded on our door, and we did, had not had time to flee. And my father and my grandfather were trying to get out, get away, because they didn't want to be caught. And they busted down the door and came in, and they beat my grandfather up and threw him down the stairs, and they took my father... We're hiking over the rubble. We get to the back and she leads me in the backyard up against this brick wall. And I stand next to this brick wall and she says, they led my father right here. And she said, we were all screaming and crying and pleading with the Serb truth not to, not to kill him. She said, he put the gun up on his head and she said, he shot him in the head. And the blood on the wall right next to me is my, my papa's blood. And a lot was going through my head. I heard story after story after story. And there was a lot of feelings that I had. I had feelings for these Albanian victims, wondering what I would do. What it, what it, can't even imagine what it must be like. I have these emotions for these Serbian troops. A lot of emotion for these Serbian troops. And I also have emotions about myself and about my life. And I'll get to that in a minute, but I also had a guy, there's a, a Newsweek article, June 1999, Newsweek featured an article called The Killing Fields. In fact, it's on the front of the, uh, of the magazine. In June 1999, I think it's the third week. If you want to find it and read about it, I think you can go to the archives and get it. But the whole article was about a a massacre that happened in Sereka, which is one of the two villages that world servants began to focus on. And um, they targeted, when they came into Sereka to burn Sereka down, they targeted a family, a Barishna family, a a, a pretty well-to-do Albanian family that lived in Sereka. And the cousin of this family, what happens in in Albania, by culture, there's this real strong tie to family. So if, if you're my dad, you look like my dad. If you're my dad and you grow up and I'm your son and I marry, and I have families, I live in the same house as you. You live on the bottom floor and I live on the second floor and if you're the oldest and then your younger brother lives on the third floor. So families, you may have 20, 25 people in these homes that live in these families. So the two patriarchs, the two grandfathers, they went in and they lived right next to each other. There's a little alley in between and uh I was drinking coffee at a cafe by there, and had heard the story, and had heard all about it. But uh, the cousin of this family, guy about my age, came to me and he said, "Can I tell you my story?" He didn't want anything, but um, we had heard and had talked a little bit about him. And actually, I'd said, "Have you told anybody about your story?" He said, "No, but I, I want to tell you." So we walked into the back of the alley there, and there's one home there that's been burned out from one of the uh, Borishna family, and there's one behind me, and we're standing in this little alleyway. And his house is right next to one, of, it's right next door, it's right there. It's a big two-story, three-story house. And he says, I was up in the window right there when the Serbs came in. He said, they came directly to my family's home, and they brought all the people out, women and children, and there were six, eight men, the two grandfathers, the patriarchs, and their sons and grandsons. And he said, they pulled all the men aside and told the women and children, hustled them off into a pizzeria. And he said, I was looking out my window and right in this alley where we're standing, they lined the men up and they taunted them and um, harassed them and then told them they could go. And he said, as they turned around to leave, they executed them. And my youngest cousin, who's 26 years old, had just gotten married been married four months, and his new wife, when they heard this, she came running back around the corner to this alleyway now i'm I'm standing in the alleyway where this has happened and i'm i 'm looking around thinking i can't believe this happened right here and he's standing about four feet and i 'm looking in his eyes as he's telling me the story and he said she came running around and when when she heard the shots to see if her new husband had been killed, and of course he's on the ground, and she screamed. She said they grabbed her, this is pretty graphic. said they grabbed her, and all the soldiers raped her. They gang raped her. So then they cut off, this is his cousin. They cut off her arms and her legs, they poured gas on her, and they lit her on fire. And I'm looking in his eyes, and his lip quivers, and he says, "And I don't know when she died." So I went back to my flat I was staying at, and we'd been there a month, and I'd rented this flat from this family, and the amount of money that we were going to pay them for the month we were there was more than a year's wage for her. So I'm thinking about that. I'm laying on this couch, and I'm trying to process my feelings, my emotions, my life, my faith. And I thought about the Albanians again. And I had a lot of emotion for them because I hadn't heard stories. I had sat next to these people and looked in their eyes while I heard their stories. This was, these were real to me. I'd seen the tears in their eyes and the hopelessness that they felt. I'd been thinking about the Serbs, wondering how in the heck can we as mankind do something like this? And I thought about my life and I thought about all that I have. I thought about my freedom as an American. I thought about the opportunities that I have as an American. I thought about the choices that I make and there's things that are dreams for people around the world like freedom and like opportunity that we don't even think twice about. And I thought about religion. These Albanian refugees are Muslim by culture. 500 years ago, the Turkish invasion imposed the Muslim faith on them. They basically came in and they said, you guys got two choices. Either we're gonna rape your women and make you Muslim, or you can choose to become Muslim. So they're Muslim by culture. The Serbs, many of these Serbian troops, soldiers that came in and raped the women and executed the men, executed families. I mean, story after story were Orthodox Christians and they wore little crosses around their neck. And I thought, what? how do I show them this treasure that I'm supposed to have? The pearl of great price, Jesus Christ, the one that loves me and gave his life for me. How do I tell them about this? And I thought about Back here in America, we have everything. We have a church, churches to go to. We have places, people to pray with. We have great worship to listen to. We've got everything we could ever want to grow and to become strong in our faith. And this is religion to them. And I'm processing all this, and to be honest, I felt absolutely hopeless. I miss my family. I'm laying in this flat, I'm thinking... We're paying her rent for a month. It's a year's wage for her. And I felt absolutely hopeless. And I'm processed and trying to think this thing through and getting more hopeless and more hopeless and more hopeless. And this little thought popped in my head that I know was the Holy Spirit. And I thought, I wonder wonder what God thinks. God, what do you think about all this? What do you think about... Albanians and the Serbs and about me and the American church and I felt the most incredible sense because I believe God answered my prayer and has taught me so much I felt his love absolutely overtake me his love for these Albanians his love for the Serbs that had done this to them and how lost they were and his love for me, a self-absorbed Christian who has everything, and I saw how self-absorbed my life is with everything. And he loves, he loves me. And I cried, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried. And I could cry again. His love absolutely overtook me. And I learned something. I learned something about this God that I serve. And it's that there's things about God that we can't put in words. We can't put in a little box. It's kind of like the universe. (laughs) It never ends. Just think about it. It never ends. Well, let's say it does end. What's, it, what's the ceiling made out of and how thick is it and what's on the other side I mean there's these things about God and about his creation we can't comprehend God's love is so much bigger than the little box we put it in and I believe God's love quite honestly is, is more than a feeling it's more than a concept God's love in action is powerful God's love comes alive in action. I think that leadership is really pretty simple. But I think in this world we live in, this culture you and I live in, we're tempted all the time to just think about our own life. And leadership starts by us having a perspective that we have to look out and see a need and see an opportunity. And then we have to be willing and have the courage to take action, to do something about the need or the opportunity that God's put in front of us. And I want to challenge Everybody here, all of you, as you look at the next few years of your life, as you look at what you're gonna do, as you start this wonderful venture with your life, I mean, it's, you know, it's funny, I, at 40, I've kind of set, in many ways, set my life in a certain direction. And there are regrets, some regrets I have. For the most part, I don't, I don't have a lot of regrets. Um, but I could and sometimes I don't know how I made the right choices but you have decisions and choices that you're making for your life and I want to ask you to think real hard about the choices you're making about what you're going to do with your faith the life of our faith is when we put it in action it's what we do with our faith and there are needs and opportunities and things that God brings across your life and across your path every single day. Oftentimes we don't even see them. My mission field for part of the year is in Kosovo, where I work, but the little world that I spend the rest of my life in, a little part of my world is Minneapolis. And I've come back from Kosovo, even though I've been in ministry for a long time. I've come back with a fresh and a new commitment that I want to live my life and I want to do it right. I want significance in my life. I've went down this thing and I've pursued dreams. I built a house on an island. God, we got this incredible piece of land, built a house and I got done building a house and I said it's just a house, man. I want to spend my life And when I'm done, I want to be proud, and I want God to be proud of where I spent my energies and my resources and my time in my life. And that's my challenge to you. I think you guys, quite honestly, are pretty lucky to be here at IWU because you have a university that I think understands that and wants to challenge you to be involved in leadership. You're not just a face in this crowd. And I honestly, I can feel some emotion when I look out and I look at your faces, because all of you are gonna travel down a different road, and all of you may feel like you do or do not have much to give God's kingdom, but every one of you can be a leader. Every one of you can lead by simply opening yourself up to look out and see the opportunities God brings across your path, and then being willing to take action. And I wanna encourage you as you look at the courses and the things you're gonna invest your time here at the university, that you look at the courses, the leadership courses that are here, and you learn about leadership. That you invest in some of the other programs, those other boxes, about being involved in student leadership and the mentoring program and the other opportunities that are here at the university. You never know what God may unfold and what you may discover about yourself and about God and about the things that can happen in your life when you give your life away for him. As I close, my prayer for you is that this morning will be a, for some of you, a fresh start. Can we pray? Now, first, first of all, Lord, I want to thank you for your love. How incredible your love is, Father! I know for myself, and I know for all of us. Lord, some of us have grown up and. Christian homes and we know the right things we know the Bible scriptures we've got all the behavior down pat or at least we know what we're supposed to be doing and yet we don't have compassion for people because we're so focused on our life we may not even understand how incredible your love is that your love consumes us and compels us to want to be your servant to want to love and give our life away and I pray for each person here, their relationship with you. God, I pray that, Lord, if there's some that they've kind of done the Christian thing their whole life and their faith's never been challenged, it's not theirs, they haven't owned it. God, I pray you'd show yourself to them in such a powerful way. pray you'd show us your love that we'd be overwhelmed by that. And God, I pray as we today make decisions for what we'll do with our life tomorrow. God, I pray you teach us to be leaders. Teach us to be servants. And teach us to be your hands and your feet and a picture of you and your love to all those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen.